I think it's great I get to speak about Jesus. That's always a good thing to speak about in church, isn't it? (laughs) Jesus, the game changer. As Carl Faye said, he said that Jesus was the most influential person in human history. He was a, an actual person in history. If we didn't think that, then it just becomes a legend. So Jesus was either a legend or he was truth. Some would say he's the legend, if you like to be cool. But here's a um, picture of the cross that we have up in our church every Sunday. Um, it tells the story of the gospel and tells the story of Jesus coming and meeting with the one. And then it tells about how they grow in their faith. So if you see the colours as it goes down the cross, that's talking about our growth as a Christian once we begin to follow Jesus. And obviously um, you might see the blood on either side is the symbols of the blood in his hands and that. But the Holy Spirit in the centre that um, empowers us to live the ways, um, empowered us to live to how he wants us to live. So Carl Faye said a few things that one, he was an actual person in history. This was proven through not just people that thought he was a good man writing about him, but about other people that wrote in about Jesus in um, just after he was alive. So there was a guy called Tacitus or Tacitus, depending on how you want to say it. He was a historian, a Roman senator. And he wrote um, when part of the Roman Empire, AD 58 to 120. This is for those that like facts. I don't know about you, but I like to know a bit of history. There was a guy called Josephus. He was a Jewish scholar and a historian. And that was, um, and he wrote, and he was around the AD 37 to 100. And then there was another guy, and he was called the Younger. What a name to be known as is the Pliny. Uh, he was a Roman senator and he also wrote about Jesus. And so there's some people that would say, yeah, but that's because they liked him, that they wrote about him. But it wasn't just the people that liked him. He made an impact in their world and they couldn't help but say he existed. And so then if you think about that, then we want to know more about Jesus. Where do we look? Well, yes, the Bible, and that is probably the most significant, where the most significant stories are told about Jesus. And we think about, you know, I'm not used to using a PowerPoint, so I'm so sorry if I get a bit lost with this, but sorry, I'll go here. That's great. So before I go to where they talk about him when he's alive, If you've got Bibles with you or a phone that has a Bible app on it, if you can turn to Isaiah 52, and it's not 52 because then if you can move one chapter forward, I'm actually reading from Isaiah 53 and verse 2. It says, He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us. I'll give this to you. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with much suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. goes on to say, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid 
on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? I'm going to stop there. So that is Jesus we're talking about, and that was actually written before he was born It was talking about when he was to come. So it was foretelling what was going to happen when he came. But then after he came, there were people that wanted to write his story because they were so amazed and impressed, but not just impressed, but changed. Just like Carl Faze was saying that Paul was changed, that they had to write his story. And one of those was a doctor and his name was Luke. And if you look at his book in Luke chapter 1, he tells us why he writes the book. It says in one, in Luke 1, 1 to 4, it says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. There was also a guy called John and he was the one that liked to refer to himself as the most loved one or beloved one. He was definitely sure of what Jesus thought of him and he wanted to write about him as well. And it says the reason that he wrote is in John 20, 30 to 31. I don't know if I have that one up there, but yeah. Jesus did many other miracles Miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He knew that where he got his life from was from Jesus. And he didn't want to just hold that to himself. He listened to what Jesus said and he had to share that with others so they too would believe and Jesus Christ would become their Lord And they would have life as well. Can we all learn from that? It's not enough that you take on that we have the life-giving source through Jesus Christ. But who are you sharing that with? We had the pleasure of hearing um, Rob Gallagher, did I say that right? Gallagher speak the other night and he spoke about whose feet are we washing. And um, that really impacted me and I just thought, you know, yes, um, who are we serving but also who are we sharing our faith with? And I think that we all have a role in that. It's not just for evangelists, it's for us all to how do we share our faith? How do we take the opportunities that God gives us in order to share what Jesus has done for us? So Carl Faye said that only, not only is he an actual person, in history, but it's been um, proven that his story has been wanted to be told. But then we get to the point that can become hard for us. And it says that those who followed Jesus gave their lives for what they believed. You know, there'd been suggestions that people had added to the story and that they had said um, that he didn't really die and he didn't really raise from the dead, but they just added it after to make it exciting. But it says in the Bible clearly when the early church books were written, that was the first thing that they believed. That was the first thing that they knew. It was already added to there. They couldn't have added it later unless they had this conspiracy theory happening earlier on. And, you know... Any follower of Jesus, if you hear about the persecuted church around the world, there is no way that they would give their lives for something that wasn't real. 
There's this man called Charles Colson and he was a part of a, um, some bad politics in America. And he had to go to prison for what he'd done, but they were all lying about what they'd done. But he said, you know, when they were put under pressure, it only took them three days to give up what they had that they, what they'd been told, what they were telling everyone, the lies that they were telling. It only took them three days. And he said, no, these people, some of these believers, 40 years, they were in prison or they were hurt. They all gave up their life except for one, for the faith. And they, all his close disciples died for their faith. Are we willing to die for our faith? Maybe we don't get to be um, killed for our faith, but maybe we get to be ridiculed for our faith. Are you willing for your ego to die so that you can stand for Jesus? If you know the real Jesus, I can guarantee you will. Because the cool thing about, or the cool, or now I'm sounding, the good thing about that is that Jesus empowers us to do that. He doesn't expect us to give up our life without empowering us to do that first. And how does he do that? Through his Holy Spirit. He might have got ascended to heaven, but he said, don't worry, I'm sending someone. The Holy Spirit is going to reside in you and he's going to empower you to preach the gospel and he's going to empower you to lay down your life for me. So never think that you can't do it on your own. I'm a scaredy cat. I couldn't do that by myself. I probably couldn't speak in front of you without the Holy Spirit in me, empowering me to do that. Can I encourage you that in your setting, wherever you find yourself right now, that he wants to make you bold and courageous and that you can speak into people's lives? Because it's for us to show people that Jesus didn't come for the many, he came for the one. Because he came for you and then... And you, and you. He didn't come to start a revolution. He didn't come to start and change society's trends. He didn't go around with his picket and say, follow me because I've got a political agenda. He didn't do that. He came and he spoke into people's hearts. Can you turn with me to John 4? And that's not up there, I'm sorry. Just want to share this story. It's one that we know well. And it's about a well. I'm doing puns now. My eldest son will be proud of me. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptising more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptised but his disciples. But when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria and so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well and it was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food and the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water 
welling up to eternal life. Now, I'm not going to keep reading this because I have a feeling that you might be going there somewhere next week. We're talking about women. Um, and But I just want to say, you know, Jesus came to that well and he was there to get away from people, it sounds like to me, to have some time by himself. But he knew that there was going to be this woman that came that had to know that there was someone who could give her life. And she was a woman that had been despised over and over again and left by herself and not allowed to come when the other women came to the well. And yet he would speak to her. And although she wasn't the same as him, she was a Samaritan and he was a Jew and they weren't meant to talk. She, he took time with her and she saw that. And he spoke to her and he spoke life into her and he changed her life. And the amazing thing is he didn't just change her life, he then took it, she took it back and had to tell everyone and they all came. And many, it says, from that town were saved. See, the one, it doesn't stop with the one. I love what happens with us when we get changed by Jesus because his living water, it says it flows in us, it bubbles out of us, it can't help and stay in us, it has to come out. If you're drinking from the well, which the way you can do that, if you don't know, is you can read your Bible. If you can't read, you can listen to it these days. There's all sorts of things that you can hear the Word of God. You can listen to worship music. That's another way we can fill the well. We can talk to Him. We can pray. But the other way is we can get around others and that will fill that well. So if you are feeling dry today and the living water isn't flowing in your life, then can I say to you and suggest to you that like Jesus did and he removed himself away and he went and replenished with his father, that's what you need to do. And let that living water flow out of you and so then you can be that change. You can be Jesus in a situation to the one. Jesus comes to change one, change one. And yes, it does change society. As it says, Carl Faye says, as we know, the foundations of our country have been on Christian principles. And so it does change society, but that's not why he came. He doesn't care about societal structure. That's a man-made thing. What he does care about is the hearts of man, the spirit man. I want to share with you some stories about some people that have been changed in our church. And um, if you can, this lady over here is, is Judy and this is her sister Kim. Now Judy is a social worker. She's from South Sudan. She was there when it became a country. She's very proud of who she is and that she was a freedom fighter over there. She came over to Australia because she had to. Her family had to flee. And so she came as a social worker and she began to work at the women's shelter, which is a, a place for women in domestic violence. Um, she was pretty disillusioned with her faith. She said, when everyone was in South Sudan, they were all praying and believing and they needed God to be among them. But when they came to Australia, they moved to Melbourne and they all became quite affluent. And when they did, they forgot God. She said, we would all get together and party and worship and sing songs, but in our hearts, and she said, in our motives and the way we, we lived, we didn't follow God. And so she slowly drifted away. She ended up moving to Alice Springs for work. She came and worked at the women's shelter. And then she began to also care for children as a second job. In our church, we have a lot of um, children with special needs as well as a lot of children that are in foster care. And their carers bring those children to church, so one, so they can see extended family, but also because those children asked to come to our church. 
The amazing thing about that is carers have to come and they have to um, stay with the children while they're there. Some carers don't want to be there. We have Hindu, Muslim, um, just atheists that come into our meetings and they paid to be in our church, which I love. <laughs> they paid to come to church. It's pretty awesome and it changes their life over time because they come every week and this lady would come every week and she was away from God. She wasn't talking to God, but she had to bring these children and when she first came, she would sit at the back and she would watch, she'd put the children down near the front and then she would sit at the back and she'd be on her phone the whole time. And we'd try to talk with her and she'd say, hi, I'm just here to care for the children. And then she would leave. Just before um, she went away for a while, she came down the front she, and she said, I'd just like some prayer. My sister is getting an operation soon, just a simple operation in Melbourne. And um, I'm a, I just want her to have a good operation. I thought, oh, at least she's coming to the front. She wants prayer. So we prayed for her. Um, and when I prayed, I saw this dark cloud over her. And I said that and I said, I see this dark cloud, but I said, God's going to walk you through that cloud. And she just looks at me. She goes, it's only a minor operation. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> she left. We didn't see her for a couple of months, but I continued to pray for her sister. I hadn't heard anything. Her sister actually, while she was on the table, she had a stroke. Her body um, shut down. She had to go on life support. Um, the doctors said there's no chance for her to live and was saying, uh, we're going to turn off her life support on Friday. That was on the Monday. They said, we'll give you five days so you can say goodbye. And she said, oh, the dark cloud. She remembered that and she got angry at God and she was so mad and she went back to where she was staying and she was yelling at him and he just reminded her that, it, that he'd said, I'll be with you in that cloud. And she went, oh, well, we'll see, won't we? And... I'd heard nothing at this stage. Um, on the Friday, she went in. They were going to turn off the life support and she said, God, come on, where are you? And her sister moved her hand and then she woke up. And within a couple of weeks, there was a major change about her. Then they said, oh, no, she'll never walk again. She'll never talk again. She won't see properly. And they said, you told us she wouldn't live. We're not listening to you. We're listening to God. <laughs> and so she comes back to us at this time. She has to get back for work. And she's sitting in our church. It's the first time she's looking at us and she's smiling like this. And actually, Pastor Bill was visiting us that week and she, and she goes up to Ben and she goes, can I please share a testimony? He goes, I'm not so sure um, you've got time with Pastor Bill there. So we all know how long Pastor Bill likes to talk. Don't, this isn't recorded. Oh, awesome. I love the guys. <laughs> Just, yeah, mute that bit. But anyway, Ben says, all right, you can have two minutes. She goes, oh, okay. She gets up and she goes, I want to thank God my sister is alive. And she begins to share the story I have shared with you. And her sister is now walking and talking. And she said, she got up and she goes, you know, I had to come to this church because I was paid to come. But now I come because it is my church and my Jesus is alive and he's changed my life. Powerful. That's just one. Can you move on? I'll just go quickly. This is a lady called Barb. She cares for children. She's a foster carer and um, she has oh, many children in her care but there's one particular boy she's raised since he was a little boy and he, has to, he can't speak. He signs to us. Um, he has to have a tracheotomy, if I said that correctly, and he, um, 
and he, he collapsed and he was going to have an operation and they weren't sure how that operation was going to go. Couldn't handle having another operation. He's had it too many times. She did not come to our church. A lady that came to our church said, oh, my friends told me to ring them and they'll pray. So 10 o'clock one night, her friend rings us and says, you said you'd pray any time. Can you pray for this? We need a miracle. Sure, we'll pray. We prayed and the next Sunday we see this boy in church and this woman, Barb, and then she comes in, she goes, a miracle. It, it came back up. The tracheomony, I can't say that word probably, whatever it is, no longer needed an operation. Open again. Whole. We're believing one day he'll speak and he can hear. But she comes faithfully every week and brings everyone in. She's as rough as guts. We're not sure if she knows Jesus fully yet. But you know what? She's passionate about our church. She would tell people, and not just because of our church, but she says they love Jesus and Jesus loves our people. And she's amen. Amen. But then the next words aren't so nice out of her mouth. <laughs> so, you know, there's a little bit of transformational work still there. You can go to the next person. This lady, Marlene, she, I met her in our first year in Alice Springs. I was there um, with a team from Seton and we were going around to the camps to pick up children for Kids Club. And I was with Bill Vass, um, I was with his son, Joel. And we went up to this house and this man was lying on the ground and he couldn't get up. And he'd had a stroke and he couldn't walk anymore. And so we prayed for him and then I never saw him again for about a year and a half. They let their children come to kids' club. We dropped them back home and then I never saw them. Then one day I see this man walking in with a walker and this woman, Marlene. They walk in and they said, do you remember you and this tall fella come in and prayed for my husband? Well, he's walking. He was walking with a walker at that time. He no longer uses a walker. He's strong. He's walking fine. He's strong in his spirit as well as in his body. This woman, she was an alcoholic, drank all the time, was known as the town drunk, abusive. She gave her life to Jesus, changed. She's been sober for two years now and she shares, as you can see, she's ministering at church, but she is also, she's ahead of her community. She won an amazing um, art award last year and she's using it. She gets up and she says, what happens? I go to Melbourne and Sydney and they tell me I have to have the microphone. Well, she says, I have to tell them it's Jesus that there's the reason I am like I am. And so this one person who's been changed by Jesus is now sharing with the art community around Australia, but also she's encouraging our church family. All of us have a story to tell. All of us, if we choose to follow Jesus, can be changed and transformed no matter what we're facing. She had a very big addiction and she's free and it's becoming a testimony to her family and her community where she lives. Lara Pinta Valley is one of the uh, roughest places. You might have seen some news reports, I don't know, but um, where the police have to take a few cars in when they go to see someone there. They can't just take one car. And she is praying for that community where she lives and she wants to see them change. She said, they just need Jesus. We've got many more stories, but... I just want to talk about you now. Isaiah 61. 
Jesus didn't come to make things comfortable for us, but he did come to heal us. And it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. That is why Jesus came. That is what he's calling you to do. To heal the brokenhearted, binding up their wounds, releasing from darkness the prisoners. In your community, if you look around and you can't see with your natural eye where the need is and where Jesus wants you to minister in, ask him and he'll start to show you what's behind the scenes. Things might seem and appear nice and you have some very beautiful streets around here and tree-lined streets and things, but when you start to see what's really going on behind those doors or what's really going on in the schools, he's going to give you some plans in order to reach the one. And you might not think you're doing much because you might just be having a cup of tea with someone. But that's going to become a significant thing when it changes their life because that won't just affect them, it'll affect their family. You know what I'm praying for is like in the Bible, whenever it talked about that someone got saved, it wasn't just them but it was their whole household. And I understand, I see that very clearly in Alice Springs. If only one person gets touched by Jesus and not the whole family, it actually causes more trouble and strife and they have so much trouble. So I'm praying for whole families and I'm believing that for you. I see how many seats are empty because there's so many children in this place. And I pray for whole families to come into this place to receive Jesus, not because we want them to be a part of an organisation, but because we want to see them changed by the power of God. As I was praying for you um, over the last few weeks, I felt to, uh, this is funny, uh, this verse I I laugh at when people say this verse because it's quite, you know, it's the cliche verse that a lot of people get. And, um, and I actually was only paying out someone the other night because they said, oh, I've got this verse. I said, everyone gets that verse. And then I felt like God said, that's the verse I want you to share. And I thought, yeah, of course. <laughs> so anyway, Isaiah chapter 54, verse 2, and David, I feel this is for you. It's enlarge the place of your tent, stretch forth your tent curtains wide, don't hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle and do not be afraid. You'll not suffer shame. You will not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget any shame of your youth. I feel that facilities thing, although it seems a small thing, I felt like that was prophetic because I feel like you have to prepare for what's coming here. And I think that it wasn't just you writing up a nice little list. I think it was so that when it changes and when it shifts, that you have the capacity to hold it. So get ready. 
It doesn't just say enlarge. You can't enlarge without strengthening. And so facilities, you need to strengthen. Your ministries, you need to strengthen. Your prayer, you need to strengthen. Without prayer, it will topple. That is how you strengthen. And if you're not involved, can I encourage you to get involved? David has not said this to me so that I can give you a big G up. (laughs) You're probably all involved and you go, seriously, we're already doing stuff. But can I encourage you that you're the reason why it will enlarge. You're the reason why it will strengthen because not nothing in your own strength, but because Jesus in you is big and he wants more and more people to know about him. He is not satisfied with what is here now. He wants to see more and more. He wants you to be like when he went to that well and he spoke to that woman. Find your Samaritan women and speak to them. Then you won't have to do half the work. She'll bring the rest of the town in. Can I ask the musicians to come and pray? In a similar vein to what um, David was saying before, um, sorry, I've gone a bit off topic. Is that okay? Could you just show the photos of our um, church family? Just go, uh, go forward. It's after that verse. Oh, yeah, here we go. This is some of our church family. We're from all different nations. So Indian, Papua New Guinean. Uh, this lady here is an Aranda woman. Well, she's a girl, but here, go, keep going on. This is our church on Sunday morning. Everyone sits really separate. No matter where we put the chairs, they move them. So I don't know how they'd go in here. <laughs> and keep going. This is um, my boys. I thought you might like to see who they are, Elijah, Josiah and Zion. And this is Dante. He stayed with us for a few weeks over Christmas time. Um, his mum was in hospital having a baby and so he came and had Christmas with us, which was wonderful. And yeah, this is some more people. Judy and the, one of the girls she cares for. Lady up the top is um, Lank's grandmother, the little baby. And there's some kids. Malcolm, you might know Malcolm. Amazing testimony he has. Yeah, keep going. That man in the wheelchair, he was told he wasn't going to live. He was 11 months in ICU. We'd go in and pray for him. And the amazing thing was, is we understand now why it took 11 months, is because every week another one of his family would come in and stay in Alice Springs. And so then they would hear the gospel. And they were a Mormon family. And then they all became Christians over a period of 11 months. And they're a big family. (laughs) And these girls are all in care, but they come to our church and um, these ladies come from hostels around town. Nicole's one of our great workers there. Is there any more photos? Just some more. These kids are in care too. This old man, he sings some beautiful songs, English and Pindara. His brother just died then when he was singing like that. Look at how happy he is. He knew that man had gone to be with Jesus. That life had been changed because of Jesus. He says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Anymore. Yeah, and that's just some of our youth. And that's my mum and dad. They're like our right-hand people. Without them, we couldn't do half the things we do. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that's us. But can I pray for you? Father God, We're beginning this series called The Game Changer and we know that you sent the Game Changer, Jesus. And we thank you for it. We thank you for him.
We thank You for what He does in each of our lives. And Lord, I pray that we can remember what You've done. Like Psalm 103 says, where it says to forget not all His benefits, we choose not to forget. But we say, thank You, God. And we're going to praise You in the good times and the hard times. And Lord, I pray right now that You strengthen this congregation, that You strengthen their stakes, that as they enlarge their tent, that You will help them to grow in their capacity so it doesn't burst. And Father God, I pray You begin to minister to people's hearts now. That they may be willing to lay down their life to follow You. Thank You that You're not interested in us because we do something for You, but You're interested in us because You love us and You created us. We thank You, God. We look forward to seeing how You show us to how to be game changers in our community. In Jesus' name, Amen.